You know, think of how many people would be interested in hanging out with a friend who had superpowers, right? Or maybe just one superpower, <clears throat> each of these friends, a super strength, right? Wouldn't it be nice to be able to say, hey, could you hold my car up for me while I change the oil or change the brakes? Or I've got this huge rock out in my field that I need moved. Could you come out and take care of it for me? Super speed. Oh, man, I, I forgot about Mother's Day. Can you take these flowers to my mom in Colorado? Quick. You know, that would be really useful. Super math mind, <clears throat> it's a little bit less helpful, right? It's like, okay, so how many gallons of paint do I need to paint my house? You know, it's kind of like on the, on the lower end of helpfulness. If uh, your friend had a mind of super math ability. Uh, the ability to read minds. That's kind of like a friend you'd want to stay away from. Right? It's kind of like, no, you, you, you can just stay over there. You're just fine. How could you think that about your boss, he might say. Uh, what, what did your neighbor do that made you that upset with them? We know that God knows everything, including our desires, the desires of our hearts and the thoughts of our minds. We, we read in 1 Samuel 16 where he says, The Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but God, the Lord, looks on the heart. We can read in Psalm 19, Let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. And Psalm 24, <clears throat> who, shall, who shall ascend to the hill of the Lord? And who shall stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to what is false and does not swear deceitfully. Jesus' hearers were already, as they're listening to the him preach the Sermon on the Mount. His hearers are, are aware that God cares about the heart, that God cares about the mind. But Jesus teaches them that God's concern about their minds is much more even than what they thought. So we pick up in his Sermon on the Mount in verse 27 of chapter 5. You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that whoever looks, <clears throat> sorry, but who everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. This is one of six statements that Jesus makes in which he exerts his authority as the final teacher, the final rabbi concerning the law. In these six statements, he says, you have heard that it was said, and, he, and he's speaking of the command in the Mosaic law, but then he continues, but I say to you, presenting his authority as the final teacher. He's affirming the commands of the Old Testament, and then he explains the depths of the standards of God in these areas. 
He continues in verse 29 and 30. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than your whole body go into hell. So here, as, as last week we saw Jesus saying, you have heard that it is said, you shall not commit murder. But I say to you that, that anyone who speaks to his neighbor or his friend and with anger, or, or anyone who even has anger in his heart, has committed murder in their hearts. Again, showing that, that even uh, that level of the simplest thoughts of anger would be on on in compared to God's righteousness on the level of worthy of corporate punishment as we call it here Jesus turns his attention to the thoughts of the mind in respect to the sixth commandment of thou shalt not commit adultery and how God's standard goes so much deeper including the thoughts of the mind. You know, us, you know, this is something that maybe we as men deal with more than the ladies and 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 Jesus points that out there when he says if a man looks at a woman with lustful intent, but uh we don't want to make any uh lady here Feel like, man, I am an oddball if I struggle with lust. That, that's not at all the intent here. They're, you know, the guys aren't reading the Har- Harlequin romance novels, right? But, but also, Jesus could have chosen another command to focus on here. He could have focused on coveting. You know, we joke, I joke that they, we have this channel on TV that should be called the HCTV, Home Coveting Television, right? Where, where the, the, we just kind of soak up, wow, that's awesome, wow, that's awesome. Next thing we know, uh, ladies, you're sitting down with somebody and you're saying, I would love to have this in my house just like they had that in their house. Well, guess what? Guess what's going on there? Coveting. Jesus could have turned his attention to that as well. He is showing the elevated standard of the righteousness of God and how we fall so far short of that. But we take the opportunity here this morning to look at lust as God sees it. You know, I can remember uh, hearing a story about a man that was was teaching a, a men's group on lust. And, and a young man, maybe in his 20s, raised his hand and said, I, need, I just need to ask, when does this tone down? When does this battle in my mind go away? And one of the older gentlemen called out for, from the back row and said, sometime after 80. The young man or, or the young woman might think, I'll get control of my mind when, when, when my hormones calm down. 
The unmarried man thinks, my thoughts will take rest once, once I can enjoy my wife. Jesus intends to make every person sense the depth of God's standard with our thinking. And from this, God wants to challenge us to get serious about sexual lust. He says here, you've heard it said. You've heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Literally, when he talks about lustfully, in order, it means to in order to desire her. The desire for something forbidden. This is not the casual glance or, or the, or the um, impulsive glance. It's the constant stare with lustful intent. It's like I'm making a recording here because I'm going to think about this later. It's the gaze that it's intended to soak in what is seen. The Mosaic Law already warned that thoughts could be sin. As I mentioned, it warns against coveting. Exodus 20 verse 17 is where we read at the the tenth of God's commandments, you shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that is your neighbor's. The, the Mosaic law already made it the, the reader, the, the, the follower of Jehovah aware that God sees our hearts, that God knows our thoughts and cares about them. And the command against coveting made it a matter of implicit theft of what belongs to others. But Jesus' warning here teaches that lust reveals implicit adultery. Adultery of mind. This is a different matter altogether in what Jesus is teaching. Not only does adultery carry greater consequence, it carries greater punishment. The punishment for adultery was corporate punishment in the Old Testament. Stoning. So in a sense, by Jesus picking out adultery, just as he picked out murder, he is giving, whereas he could have, you know, coveting is already listed, but but he could have said, you know, if, if a person is thinking about lying, they're already lying in their heart or something like that. He, he picks on these two, murder and adultery, because both of them call for corporate punishment under the Mosaic law. In a sense, he is saying the smallest sin compared to God's righteousness is worthy of death. As we're reminded in, in, in um, Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. So here in both of these commandments that Jesus is opening up and saying, but when this is already sparked in your heart, when it's already dwelled on in your mind, you're already worthy of condemnation if you're going to try to stand before God's perfect righteousness in your righteousness. 
if you if you go to um, the beach, you'll become familiar with uh, beach warning flags, especially over on the Atlantic coast. Our family has been to Myrtle Beach a few times, and 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 there's a lot more wildlife in the in the water than say over on the Gulf. You know, I know I know a number of you guys have been to Gulf Shores and things like that, but there's a lot more wildlife. You know, it's kind of more of an adventure, right? Uh, but you have to get called out of the out of the water sometimes. I'll never forget, you know, standing on the beach and watching schools of fish jump out of the water and seeing a 10-foot shark jumping after them. But uh, so they'll put up a little flag. We kind of learned, okay, there's little flags at the lifeguard stand. Uh, when you come walking out of the hotel and you look for that flag, yellow means be cautious. Green means safe to swim. Yellow means take caution. Red means no swimming. Double red means very dangerous. I'm, I'm not sure why they have to put that one up. If the red one already means no swimming, like does that mean like a wave might just jump out of the water and grab you off the beach or something like that if they've got this double red flag up? Jesus' statements here is about elevating the threat level. Elevating the severity, understanding the severity of lust, which would cause us to have an elevated threat level when these thoughts come to our mind. And the popularity of pornography should not cause us to excuse getting drawn into it. The prominence of sexual images in advertising shouldn't make a, give us an excuse for lust. Our desires are laid open before God's eyes. And our desires are held to God's perfect standard, just as our actions are. For the person who has not trusted Christ as their Savior, and this is evidenced by God's Holy Spirit indwelling us. For the person who has not trusted Christ as our Savior, God's righteous standard is to be applied to our minds as well. And he's teaching us that our minds are meant to be used to glorify God. And where he is shorted his glory, there is a debt that must be paid. This is a warning to unbelievers that even the, the sinful things that they dwell on condemn them before God. Ray Comfort is known for, for this type of evangelism which I believe is, is part of the purpose of, of Jesus' message here. Uh, Ray Comfort, he has his ministry, The Way of the Master. And, and he would talk to someone and say, you know, why do you think that you're going to go to heaven? Do you think that, you, that God accepts you as you are? And the person will usually say, yeah, of course. You know, God's loving and, and you know. I'm a pretty good person. And he'll say, well, let me, let me ask you this. He says, have you ever hated someone? Have you ever actually just been angry with someone? They're like, well, of course I have. And he would say, well, well are you, you might not be aware of this, but, but according to God's word, that makes you just as guilty before God as a murderer. He says, well, I, let me ask you this. Have you ever had a lustful thought towards someone? And they're like, well, of course. Well, that makes you just as guilty as an adulterer. 
And he goes on with this and then and finally says, man, I got to tell you, by your own admission, you are telling me that you are a murderous adulterer of heart. And you are not going to be able to stand before God is that. Do you think that God is going to fellowship with someone who is, is that he sees them as murdering and committing adultery in their mind? And the hope is that this bringing this person to the place of realizing, I need grace. I need a righteousness that is far beyond my own. In a sense, that is what Jesus is doing here. He is deconstructing these Jewish, the, 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 the people that are not looking to Jesus for grace, not looking to Jesus through the lens of the gospel that he's already teaching, but are thinking that they stand before God in their own righteousness, and his intent is to show them, you cannot stand before God because he sees your heart. He knows what's going on in your mind. For us as believers, if you know Christ as your Savior, this should be an encouragement. Because God has no standard that he doesn't plan to work in. God desires to transform us from the inside out. He's not concerned just about our actions and what could happen Certainly fornication, which is sex outside of marriage, and adultery, which is sex with someone else's spouse, both are devastating to our relationships and carry earthly consequences. But Jesus is informing us that God desires and deserves glory from pure hearts and minds, even as they are a horizon issue. That he will work on for the rest of our lives. We're told how a believer should gain the mind of Christ. Slowly and steadily in 1 Corinthians 2. Where we read the natural person does not accept the things of the spirit of God. For they are folly to him. And he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The spiritual person judges all things. But he himself to be judged by no one. For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. God plans to slowly transform the mind of the believer into a mind that more reflects the mind of Christ. James also teaches us that outward sin flows from our desires. Where James writes in James 1, 13 and 14, Let no one say when he is tempted, I'm being tempted by God. For God cannot, tempt, cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. So, so these teachings of Jesus that, that God cares about and wishes to work within our very minds carry out in the epistles as well that God can do a work here. A work of grace. Men and women of God, we need to take lust seriously for sure. And whether it's a person on a computer screen or a character in a romance novel or a rom-com, Jesus lets us know that God's glory is at risk when we are loose with sexual thoughts. 
And the prevalence of sexual images in pornography should not make us think that it is no big deal. Jesus is telling us it is a big deal to God. You know, there were other Jewish teachers that thought that God cares about our thoughts as well. Okay, Jesus wasn't new to the scene with this teaching that God sees our thoughts. God cares about our thoughts. And I'm sure that they, they taught against the, um, the workers making catcalls at women as they're threshing the grain. I'm sure that they contradicted the friend that would say, it's no big deal, Barsabbas. You can look, but just don't touch. But most rabbis didn't give this sense of urgency and importance that Jesus does in the next verse. In fact, most of them were basically teaching, you must be able to control your thoughts as I have. That's hypocrisy. Most of them were teaching, God sees your thoughts and he will condemn you, so you better be like me. And purify them completely. I'd like to read that book that guy writes. After getting serious about sexual lust. As Jesus teaches us. It's time to get aggressive. Against sexual lust. That's what he says. If your right eye causes you to sin. Tear it out and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members. Than your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than your whole body go into hell. Now, I don't think there's something specific to Jesus speaking about the eye and also speaking about the hand. In, later in Mark, he'll talk about the foot. The, the idea here is we need them. They're important to us. The fact that he re- references the right eye and the right hand Or later in Mark, the right foot. Sorry, lefties, what he's saying is it's more important than than the left one. It would be expected that the eye or the hand might might be lost as a corporal punishment. You know, uh, in some cultures, you know, there's the the terrible idea that 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 a person that steals something, they might lose their hand. But but in, in the law... These ideas were uh, given, these commands were given in order that they would not do more with the punishment than what was called for. That's where we get in Exodus 21, if there, if there is harm, then you shall pay life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot. In other words, um, if I accidentally cut off somebody's hand, the idea would be my hand should be cut off. It was a limiting thing rather than, you know, don't kill me because I cut somebody's hand off. I I digress here. But the loss of an eye, the loss of a hand would be considered corporal punishment, which means involving pain or injury to the body. But the loss of one's life is considered corporate punishment, as we've talked about. I'm sorry, capital punishment punishment. Other Jewish rabbis went as far as regarding uh, lust as bad as adultery. Uh, Some Pharisees were actually called the bruised and bleeding Pharisees. And they were called this 
because they were very proud of their broken noses. They're very proud of the bruises under their eyes and on their and the blood and the bruises coming the blood coming from their foreheads. It was evidence to everyone of how dedicated they were to a pure mind because as they would be walking down the street they would if if a woman would come walking down the street they would shut their eyes and they would run into something and the more bruises and bleeding they had on their faces the more evidence that it was to everyone how in control of their thoughts they were so there were some teachers and and Pharisees that 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 elevated the thoughts of the mind to being important and, and even elevated in them to the idea of being uh, worthy of God's judgment. But what it was is, is in this situation, they were showing this as a formulaic legalism in which they were basically saying, God accepts me because I am keeping my mind pure. Evidenced by the blood dripping them from my forehead. Evidenced by the bruises on my face. And if you don't have bruises on your face and blood dripping from your forehead, then guess what? You are in, in danger of judgment. God might as well just stone you right now because we all know what you're thinking. That is not what God, Jesus intends here. The, the, the idea here is not to... To say, well, if you don't have this blocking software on your computer, if you don't have this accountability software on your phone, then, oh, there's something wrong with you. I, I recommend that. I recommend those things. I make use of those things. But the idea here is not to come back to a legalism of get your mind right. Like I've gotten my mind right. The bedrock of grace says God loves and accepts me because of Christ. Not because of what I do, but because of what Christ has done. And this impossible standard that I would not, never have been able to meet without Christ. God actually looks at me and sees me pure. Sees me as righteousness. The very righteousness of Christ. And the fact that I can be honest with him about my sin, about my thoughts, is evidence that I trust his forgiveness in Christ. And the fact that I can be honest with other people about my sin and find accountability and find help in this battle that wages in my mind is because I don't need this person to accept me. God has given me all the acceptance I already need in Christ. The irony of this, this uh, situation here is that, as one writer says, thus the I, which should keep us from stumbling, can in fact trip us up. You know, I am not a zombie film fan or, or Walking Dead or anything like that, I just start like getting really nervous and cringy, right? Just the music, 
He's like, no. I don't, I don't know why, but there, there, there's the one zombie film I've saw. I, I saw one back in, when I was a teenager, and I couldn't eat um, turkey sandwiches for years after that, literally, because I was eating a turkey sandwich while I was watching. But once again, I digress. Um, <clears throat> and the, the only zombie film I've seen in, in recent days, it, it had this one situation. It was World War Z, all right? And um, there's a situation where they're trying to get up to uh, they're, they're going through a stairway or something, and there's, a, there's an Israeli soldier uh, leading the way, and it's a female because it's an Israeli thing, and, and she, she turns the corner, and this zombie jumps out and bites her arm. And after taking care of the zombie somehow, I don't remember what, you know, Brad Pitt, the, the star, he grabs a big K-bar knife and whack, like chops her arm off. And it's like, wow, that was, that was pretty severe. That was pretty brutal. Well, the idea here was she was bit here, and this virus is going to travel through her bloodstream to the rest of her body. So we got to get severe. We got to get serious. We got we to get serious against this thing and chop her arm off. Can't believe I'm talking about this in a sermon. This is, this is Jesus' elevated threat level, saying, let's get serious against this. But for the unbelievers, this should have caused them shaking in their boots. They're like, okay, um, Jesus, I, I, I guess I'm following the, the eye part um, and the hand part, and but what about all these thoughts, that's not going to take care of my brain, right? What do I do about that? Because I kind of need that to keep living. Um, this is to cause these unbelievers that are trying to live in their own righteousness and who have realized the gig is up. God sees it. Cause them to long for grace. They need to find a way to solve the problem of their unrighteousness. They're, being in, they're in jeopardy of being tossed into hell over sins that they haven't even been considering to be a big deal. For us as believers still, the message is similar. Jesus said, deal immediately and decisively with sin. Don't taper off, cut it off. Colossians 3.5 says, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Romans 6.13 says, do not present your, the members, your members to sin as instruments of unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments of righteousness. You know, uh, in in our our reading, and let let me just tell you, if you if you haven't jumped on board with the reading, or if you get behind with our with our reading plan, that does not mean you have to like catch up. All right, just the next day, just start at the next day's 
chapters. You know, we're reading two chapters a day if you'd like to be a part of that. But we read in John 10 this, this week where Jesus says the thief, he's talking about himself being the good shepherd, that the sheep can trust him. The thief tries to lead the sheep away so that he can steal them. He writes and says, speaking of uh, talking about the thief in, in being like Satan, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Life abundant. That's what Jesus is going for here. Satan will use our own minds to lead us away from God's righteousness to make us completely swollen and and hampered by shame and guilt and unrighteousness until it drives us to our grave. And then he'll give us legalism that says, oh, if you just do this, you'll make up for that. Don't worry, God, God doesn't see that, he, 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 but, but he really loves when you do this. Jesus came that we might have life, that we get off of that, that merry-go-round of legalism, of thinking, I've got I've to impress God, but that we would have abundant life. I would be a liar and a hypocrite if I stood up here and told you that I have never struggled with looking at pornography. Unfortunately, I grew up exposed to it as a young child. It, that the, the younger that you're exposed to pornography, the more impacting it is just as it is confusing. See, I still have a pulse. So therefore, I can be tempted by pornography. If you're not comfortable with your pastor sharing that, there's plenty of other churches. But I find that, that men are able to be honest when they have an honest pastor. And I share this fact with other men. They, they are ready to share their history, their struggles. My life and freedom are very different because I am a warrior, not a victim. But being able to be a warrior starts with knowing the battle, the war, is already won. I have already won in Christ. I already stand before God in righteousness, in grace. And I can talk to God about anything. And I don't have to, to fear because he already knows it. Yes, all of my devices have blocking and accountability software on them. That's part of being a warrior. That's part of fighting. And I've swallowed my pride and texted friends and said, Hey, I'm thinking about being stupid. Can you pray for me? You know what I find? is that the temptation of that false intimacy evaporates because I've replaced it with real intimacy of letting a brother in, of talking about it. 
what is plucking or cutting look like for you? Is it is it your computer? It, it, does it, do you not have accountability with your computer? Get it. Is it is it trips to the beach? You have to say sorry, family. We got to go somewhere else next spring break. Maybe you should text me or Pastor Jeff. Maybe getting aggressive is about starting swallowing, starting with swallowing your pride, and saying, "Hey, um, I have a pulse." I need help. We all need help, folks. That's that's part of the understanding. But, you know, these things are dealt with as we experience real intimacy, as we experience corporate grace, as we're reminded, yeah, Christ died for that too. You know, we need to see our minds as being important to God. We need to see our minds as being His sanctuary. Our minds are like a movie theater, you know? Whatever's being being, uh, uh, thought about is playing on that screen. Whatever we've, we've seen or thought about, it's like the posters in the lobby, you know, uh, of, the, of, of uh, past movies. And looking at someone in order to lust is like recording, recording it in order to put it on the projector for later. We certainly need to be cautious about what we paper the walls of God's sanctuary with. Legalism says, God, when I clean it all up, then I'll let you in there. It's like Jesus is standing at the door and knocking. You know, that, that, that verse from, from Revelation 3, he's talking to the church. When he says, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone lets me in, I will enter and I will be with them and they with me. He's talking to the, about the church. And imagine he's standing on the outside of our mind, outside of that movie theater. And, and when we're thinking legalistically, we're thinking, okay, just hold on one second. I will let you in. I just got to go take care of what's on the screen right now. Um, you know, I'll start playing the Jesus Revolution. That'll be good. You know, or I got to take these posters down. Okay, just, and for years we keep coming back to the door. And telling Jesus, okay, I I promise, just like maybe one more week, I'll get it cleaned up, and then I can let you in. Walking in a relationship with God, walking in grace, means listening to Jesus and him leaning into us and saying, "Um, here's a deal. I'm God. That kind of means I'm everywhere. I'm already in there. I'm already seeing it. I'm already aware of what you're thinking. Let's talk about it. Because here's the deal. I died for your sins. I already died for that. Let's clean it up together. 
it's not going to take any of my love from you. It's not going to take any of the grace that you've received. And here's the deal. As we clean it up together, you're going to get to be, get to feel my love better than you are. And it's going to make a difference. Let's bow our heads. Lord God, um, you know that your message here is, is meant to make the unbeliever the person that is trying to gain a relationship or walk in a relationship with you by their own righteousness, by their own strength. It, it, it is meant to cause them to give up and throw themselves on your grace. Lord, you're, you're aware of my concern that, that that message can make the person that is walking in your grace to feel like somehow uh, you are angry with them or that you are feeling like they are not measuring up to you. Lord, in faith, we stand on Christ's righteousness. In faith, we stand in your grace. In faith, we, we hold to the fact that even as we talk about how you see and, and the, the thoughts of our minds and of how severe it is and compared to your righteousness. Lord God, I pray that those who know Christ as their Savior here would sense your acceptance still would sense your desire for them to be honest with you of what you already know. For us to be radical to get more of what we love from you. We're not going to get radical being afraid that what if we fail? What does that mean then? Create in us a pure heart, Lord God. Renew a steadfast spirit within us. We thank you, Lord God, that we live on this side of the cross. We don't have to ask that you cast us not away from your presence. We don't have to ask that you not remove your Holy Spirit from us. But Lord, if anyone here is thinking, I've been standing, trying to stand in my own righteousness, and I am shaking in my boots right now. I pray, Lord God, that they would reach out to you for the grace of Christ, for the righteousness of Christ. That they, from this day forward, would receive the grace that they could be closed with to stand before you in perfect righteousness as your child. Lord, I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.